Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Andy Staples on 3, and we have a big, big show for you today. The game of the week happening in Seattle, Oregon against Washington. Basically, the winner in pole position in the Pac-12. And then there's a gauntlet for both teams coming up where they both have to play USC. They both have to play Utah. They both have to play Oregon State. And they both have to play Washington State. This is the best we've ever seen in the Pac-12. The deepest we've ever seen it. The quarterbacks are incredible. And we are going to get a great matchup on Saturday. Think of the quarterback matchup alone. Michael Penix Jr. at Washington throwing to those three NFL receivers, Bo Nix at Oregon, completing 80% of his passes. It's hard to complete 80% of your passes against air. Well, we're going to have both coaches in this matchup on the show today. Oregon's Dan Lanning and Washington's Kalen DeBoer, two guys who come at this from a different place. Dan Lanning, assistant coach for a long time at the, the Power 5 level, was Georgia's defensive coordinator as they won their first national title since 1980. He came to Oregon last year. He was in his first year as a head coach when he's playing against Washington. Kalen DeBoer was in his first year at Washington, but he'd been the head coach at Fresno State. He'd been the head coach at the University of Sioux Falls and won three NAIA national titles there. And if you don't think that matters, listen to this interview with Kalen DeBoer. You will find out why it matters, why that experience matters. And you saw it in the game last year. Dan Lanning will admit he was very much a work in progress as a head coach last year in his first year. Now he knows a lot more. If you watch that Texas-Oklahoma game, you saw the difference in Brent Venables from year one to year two. Dan Lanning's in a very similar place. Might have a better team this year than he had last year. But Washington is also better than they were last year. This game is going to be so much fun. It's a shame that the Pac-12 is disintegrating before our eyes because this is what they were aiming toward. This is what they wanted everybody to be able to see, what football can be like on the West Coast. Now, this rivalry is not going anywhere. It is moving to the Big Ten, and that in itself will be exciting, too, to have these teams playing as your Michigans and your Ohio States and your Penn States and your Wisconsins. But this is what West Coast football can be. All you people who think people on the West Coast don't care. These two fan bases care deeply. You will see on the shores of Lake Washington, you will see the purple and the gold, and they will be getting after it at that game. If you see a game in Oregon, if you've ever been to Austin Stadium, same thing, that fan base, they are deeply passionate, and these two programs hate one another. It, it is going to be so much fun. I cannot wait, and we're going to dive into it with both head coaches, and then later in the show, Jesse Simonson on three national writer will join us to talk about his all transfer portal team. And oh yeah, a few players who are playing in this game on that team. Plus a few players playing in some of the other big games this weekend, including USC Notre Dame. That's another one that I cannot wait to see because we just don't know exactly what's going to happen when these two teams face each other because Notre Dame's been playing a bunch of really good defenses now they're going to play a USC team that does not play particularly great defense, but USC's offense is better than probably anything they've seen so far. So can Notre Dame's defense slow USC's offense? Or does Notre Dame's offense look very explosive against USC's defense where it hasn't against, say, Ohio State or Duke or Louisville? We're going to find out. It is going to be a great weekend of college football. Cannot wait. To get into it. And of course, one way to kick it off is to find your prize picks squares because prize picks is the easiest way to play daily fantasy. You download the prize picks app, you use the code Andy, 
and they are going to match your first deposit up to 100 bucks. So if you deposit 100, they'll match you 100. If you deposit 50, they'll match you 50. How it works, you pick squares. You decide, is somebody going to be more than or less than this number? I'm looking at the quarterbacks this week. There's some crazy quarterback matchups. Let's talk about the one in the biggest game, Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix. So they've set some very high numbers for these guys. Michael Penix Jr.'s number is 359 and a half passing yards. Bo Nix, 291 and a half. Whew, that's a lot. If that, if that comes to fruition, if both of those guys hit those numbers, we are going to be highly entertained in this game. Let's go the opposite direction. We got squares for that Iowa-Wisconsin game, too. Oh, yeah. That's a true sickos game. Which, by the way, could decide the Big Ten West. Prize Picks has Deacon Hill, the Iowa quarterback, 125 and a half yards. Tanner Mordecai, the Wisconsin quarterback, the Dairy Raid, at only 180 and a half against that Iowa defense. There's also some great QB combos. That's one of the things I love that Prize Picks does is they'll combine a couple QBs and say, are they going to total, you know, go over this particular your number in passing yards or in touchdowns? And it's not always two guys playing against one another. Sometimes it's, it's guys that are just on teams in big games or teams on that, that everybody's going to be watching. So here's one. This is a Friday-Saturday combo. Shador Sanders and Kyle McCord. So Colorado, Shador Sanders, Ohio State's Kyle McCord. Will they have more or fewer than 618 and a half passing yards? That's a lot. Uh, Carson Beck and J.J. McCarthy, Georgia and Michigan. That could be the QB matchup in the national title game, for goodness sakes. 510 and a half. You saw Carson Beck really come alive against Kentucky last weekend. Meanwhile, J.J. McCarthy has been chucking it very well all season. So prize picks is going to give you a ton of fun ways to enhance your college football viewing. So prize picks, download that app, use the code Andy. They'll match your first deposit up to a hundred bucks. Go ahead and download it now. Start picking out your squares. That's the most fun part of the weekend on Friday night. Follow me on Twitter, Andy underscore staples. I'll be picking my plays. I'll be probably taking your advice because a couple of weeks ago, I didn't take somebody's advice and they were right. And I was wrong. So I'm going to trust you guys. Go to Prize Picks, download that app, code Andy. They will match your first deposit up to 100 bucks. All right, now it is time to dig deep into that game on the shores of Lake Washington. We will start with Oregon coach Dan Lanning, second year coach. One of the games he dropped in year one was against Washington. Oregon was playing well. Bo Nix got dinged up. Washington came back and won. Can, can Dan Lanning and the Ducks finish this time? They've talked all offseason about finishing in the fourth quarter. Can they finish this one? Because I think it's probably going to be one of those that goes into the fourth quarter. I, I don't think either one of these teams is significantly better than the other. This is going to be an absolute classic. Here's Dan Lanning. We are joined now by Dan Lanning, head coach of the Oregon Ducks. Huge game on Saturday against Washington. But, Coach, you made some news without actually making some news today. I don't even know if you were aware because you had practice and everything. But Nick Saban was talking about the missed opportunity to hire you, that he, he missed you by two days. You were you were going to Georgia, and he was going to call you and offer you a job at Alabama. How, how did that work? Like, did you know that, that he was calling you to offer you a job, or did you – and you already had said yes to Kirby, or did he call you and be like – and say – it was a little after the fact. So I had accepted the job and I was actually driving to Georgia while Georgia was playing Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. And uh, I ended up seeing Coach Saban there because I got there for the Rose Bowl. I saw him in the national championship game. But, you know, it was after I'd already accepted the job at Georgia and certainly couldn't go go back on my commitment there. So got a lot of respect for, for Coach Saban. I probably learned more in football um, than any other year in my career than that, that year working for Coach. Um, and obviously was you know fortunate to get to go and, and work for Kirby and learn a ton from him. When you think about these sliding doors moments of how, how your life could have changed, I, 
how much does that affect your decision making? Because it seems like you've been a pretty decisive person. You've told the story a bunch of times about uh, you, you, you know, sent out all these emails and a, and a grad, you know, somebody from Pittsburgh said, Hey, you know, come, come talk to us. And you drove from Missouri to Pittsburgh and waited a whole day for them to get, get back. You've always made these really quick decisions, took that job, sold your house, cleared out your 401k. Have you always been that person that this is the decision I'm making? This is the goal I'm chasing. Yeah, I think so. My wife probably doesn't like it, you know? Uh, yeah, I've always, I've always, made every decision for me and, and our family based on, okay, am I going to live with regret if I don't make this decision, if I don't make this choice? And I've certainly had hard times deciding what to do at times, you know, throughout my career. Um, but, you know, prayer usually helps that out. So you, you have this, this game that is looming. It is the, the highest these two teams have ever been ranked when they played in a very storied rivalry. But you've, you've played in some games like this before when you were D.C. at Georgia where you're playing again, you know, with two top five teams playing. What is that like and how do you keep it from becoming overwhelming to, to your team? Yeah, it's, it's uh, exciting. And any coach that tells you it doesn't feel different playing one of these games is lying. It absolutely feels different. There's excitement. You, you feel it driving home. You feel it when you wake up in the morning. Um, every moment of the day, you're, you're really thinking about it. And I think what you have to focus back in on is what is it going to actually take to be successful in the game? Um, we've talked to our players a lot about being in the eye of the storm, right? That's the calmest part of the storm. But we're, we're, there's going to be chaos everywhere um, that exists within this game, and it's going to be the team that can execute the best on the field that's going to win. And the, last year's game is a perfect example of that. You, you have chaos in the game. You have Bo getting hurt on a, on a key play in the fourth quarter, and you've got to figure out what to do. What kind of things do you do to simulate that level of chaos at practice on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, there's a ton. I mean, we went back at the very beginning of this week and we watched every game-changing play in the, in the game last year. And we watched it with the team. We said, if this moment's different, if this play's different, you know, what's the result of the game? And really trying to, you know, maintain the focus of the players and saying, you know, every single play matters, but the most important play is the next play and how you can make an impact and, and create a moment. So within practice, I mean, we... We got the music, uh, music cranked up, the crowd noise cranked up. We're, you know, getting a, a shove in or two with our players after after the whistle to see how they react. Um, we try to do a lot of different things, you know, speed up the tempo, um, tons of shifts and motions, all the things that we think could create some chaos for our team uh, and make it harder in practice than it is in the game. I, I've never thought about that, shoving a player after, after the whistle just to see what he does. Because I've seen so many games where the guy who retaliates gets flagged and the guy who did the thing first gets nothing, you're actually practicing that scenario. It's always the second guy, right? I get a little nervous. Some of these guys are big. So when I go and push them after the whistle, I'm a little nervous what the reaction is going to be. But, uh, you know, our guys have fun with it. You know, I think just understanding the reality of these games, you don't want your emotions to play the game, right? We, we talk about mind over feelings. This is a game where your mind has to be stronger than your feelings. And uh, it's a passionate game. It's, it's, it's a game that means a lot to a lot of the players on our team, uh, our fan base. But you know, what's actually going to affect the game, the way you play, the way you execute. So that's what we focus on. And you, you teach them, you know, everybody says one play at a time, but I, I always thought, you know, in that, that Saban Kirby smart architecture, it's always just dominate this moment, forget the past, forget the future and, and just st stay in this moment. How do you stay present in that? Yeah, I yeah, I hit the reset button for myself a lot. You know, I, you know, there's been times where I, I see myself losing focus and I, I just have to continually remind myself of the focus that I need to maintain. It's really no different for our players. Um, trying to remind them of the focus that's required to be successful and, and execute at a high level. And it might be some intentional breathing throughout the game. It might be just, you know, taking a, a second to pause and think about exactly where you're at in that moment so you can be dialed in. So you actually in in the game you do this like is there something you you focus like do you look up at the scoreboard or the clock or is there something you that that recenters you? I just think after every single play you got to hit the reset button. You know I really think that that's really important to try to find your. Um, you know we, we showed a clip of our players um, the the movie the love of the game for the love of the game. I think yep. you remember on the mound right there. You know uh, what's he say? Clear clear the mechanism. Right. And right. you see him kind of go into the zone. And it's, it's really the same thing for me as a coach and for our players. You, know, you got to clear the mechanism. You got It doesn't matter really what happened the last play. It's about focusing on that play and being in the moment. Look at you with the Kevin Costner baseball rom-coms. I guarantee you none of your players had ever heard of that movie before. You, they you they certainly hadn't. You know, what's, the, what's the best Kevin Costner movie? What's your favorite? 
That, uh, I'm going to go Bull Durham. Okay. I'm more of a Dances with Wolves guy, but – Oh, uh, very nice. You know, Bull Durham's good. Well, I, it's – Look, every time I see one of you guys arguing with a ref, it's it's less in football because they don't usually like you can say a lot more in football before they pull a flag out. But every time I see one of you guys arguing with a ref and a flag comes out, I just think, you know, Dan called him a you know what? So <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So with Bo, he's been in big games like this his whole career, but it seems like he's a different. You keep, I've heard you refer to him multiple times over the past few weeks as a pro. What is it like when you have a quarterback who is now, you know, five years into his college career, has played in big moments in every single one of those years? Yeah, instead of getting, you know, uh, four hours of sleep at night, you get at least six, right? Um, <laughs> you know, you, get, you have 10 coaches on your staff. With Bo, I feel like we got an 11th coach, you know, a guy out there that sees the game like we see it, um, really in tune with what we're trying to accomplish offensively obviously an extremely talented player and a competitive edge that I, I haven't been around before. What is, you know, the difference in the dynamic between him and, and Will Stein and, and him and Kenny Dillingham? And both, both those guys are younger coaches, but I mean, we think of Kill Kenny is a young guy, but Will's a lot younger than Kenny. Yeah. Um, you know, ultimately I think Bo getting to, to serve under so many offensive coordinators has been such a benefit to him. He's seen the game from so many different lenses um, he understands what, what he really likes, what he feels good about, and he really understands what the coaches are trying to accomplish. I think Will's done a phenomenal job of getting on the same page of Bo. I think it's hard when a coach comes in and they don't realize how much Bo can really handle, right? You can give Bo all the checks. You can give Bo uh, all the indicators, and Bo will get you into the right play. And when you have that as a coach, it makes you feel real comfortable saying, hey, we're going to do this. It's a little bit funky. I don't know if most players can handle it, but if the look's not there, Bo can get us out of it, and he's done a great job of that. When we talked in the spring, you were talking about when you upgraded the talent on defense through the transfer portal, that it was a lot of guys that you'd, you'd been involved in their recruitments originally, like Jordan Birch, like Kyrie Jackson. How much did that help you when you got them to, to develop the relationship and then to, to put them into the right spots on the field? Yeah, I think it's huge. And you didn't know it, you know, four years ago. But now that the portal exists, you know, sometimes falling uh, second place in a recruiting battle isn't a bad thing because you might see that guy a couple of years um, later. And I think part of them knowing where I've been in the past and what we've been able to accomplish in the past, I think that gave them a clear vision about where we're headed. So you, you guys studied good to great this offseason. Uh, have you guys mastered the hedgehog mentality, the, the find the, the thing you're really good at and, and be really good at that? Yeah, the hedgehog was one that I had a hard time, uh, you know, figuring out when, I, when we first went really through the book. I'm like, really, this is what we're going to talk about, you know, our strengths really like shriveling up and protecting ourselves. But, you know, in reality, yeah, I think we've done a good job of figuring out what our strengths are. Um, and then really this last week, you know, we called it work week. It wasn't bye week And it was about finding our 1% that we can escalate and uh, we can grow and, and, you know, find those marginal gains that equal big gains for our team. That's what Kirby used to always talk about that, the, the aggregate of marginal gains. And uh, how much do you feel like you've changed as, as a coach and, and Oregon has changed as a program since these two teams last met? Yeah, time. I, th I think we're a completely different team. I think they're a completely different team. You watch them play. Um, they're playing with you know a lot of juice and enthusiasm. I think their defense has really improved. I think ours has too. And um, you know, you're really going to figure out which defense has improved going into this, this next game because these are two really high-powered offenses. How important is it for, for guys like Jordan Birch or Brandon Dorless to be able to, to affect Michael Penix Jr.? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, the guy hasn't gotten hit much. And uh, I think the, the key is you can't go into this game thinking every play is a play where I'm going to hit the quarterback. It's really about every play is a play where i got to do my job. And if the opportunity comes where we're able to get some pops on him, it's, it's certainly going to help us out. Um, but more importantly, execute my job for the team. When you look at it, I know it's hard to, to look past this game, but obviously – this is the deepest the Pac-12 has been in a long time. This is the, the deepest group of quarterbacks you've seen. How critical is it to have this, this game, this win, to get to where you want to be? Well, I think, I mean, every game, the next game is always the most important game. Um, you know, every one of our goals are going to be in front of us regardless of the result, but we want to go up here and we want to win. We, you know, we feel a certain way uh, about how we, you know, didn't take care of business last year, and, and you want to go out here and put your best foot forward and, and perform. But we know it's going to be a great environment. Um, we know that they're a great team. So really just focus on, again, the next play, the next moment, what can we do best, and, and the rest, rest will take care of itself. Your 
pregame speech against Colorado got a lot of attention. I, I'm curious because I love the, the Redwood part. The white, you know, Redwoods don't stand alone. They stand together and the roots are all interconnected. Was that in your back pocket for a while? Had you been, been planning to, to do that one? Or is that something you read a couple of days before the game? You're like, ooh, that'll work. Yeah, no, um, you know, we work with a, a group, um, you know, Corey Schaefer's a guy that, that I meet with every single week. And, you know, it's part of, it was part of our messaging going into the game. You know, we mm-hmm. talked about this game's going to be about being connected. This game's going to be about being selfless. And, you know, uh, we, we found that analogy and thought it really fit. You know, I, I had never thought about it before like that. You never see a Redwood by itself. And, and then when you actually study a Redwood, you know, each time when we kind of pick a theme of where we're headed each week, um, you find an analogy that really fits and the strength in the Redwood is its roots. And the fact that not really their roots alone, because they're not very deep. It's really the fact that their roots are tied together with the trees around them. So they give you, you guys agree on this messaging going into the week and, and do you deliver that to the play, something like that to the players pretty much every day of the week. And then it all ties together on Saturday. Somewhat. I mean, we start the week off on Monday and kind of try to paint a picture for our players of what we think is going to be important to win this game. You know, we we really plan a lot of that stuff out in the summer and then we adapt as the season goes like, hey, this is something important. We really need to attack. Um, We need to adjust. Maybe it's something that's going to matter specific to us. Maybe it's more important or more specific to the team that we're playing. So what are we going to say after we see the uh, the behind the scenes of this one, this pregame speech? Uh, I, I care less. You know, I'm really focused on the result. Right. All I really worried about is the result. And that starts with the process. Right. If your results oriented, you're probably going to be disappointed about you know, how you got there. We want to focus on the process in between. You've always been super competitive. And it feels like those naturally competitive people are better at being process oriented because they kind of they can move on to the next moment. But how do you do that with a whole team of people? Because everybody's got different personalities. How do you keep people not, from looking at the scoreboard and just looking at the next play? Yeah, you have to be the, the thermostat, not the thermometer, right? You can't, um, you know, adapt to the weather changes around you. You have to be the one that sets the temperature. And I think that starts with me, um, starts with our coaching staff, right? If they see me with the ebbs and flows throughout the game, then they're going to they're gonna match that. But if they see somebody that's centered and focused on what's next, then I think they can replicate that. Which Kevin Costner movie are you showing them before the game? I know, like Saban always has the, it, like the movie choice is very important. There are actual debates that happen as they pick the movie. Which, which Kevin Costner movie are you showing these guys? I mean, I told you mine was was Dance with the Wolves, but, you know, that's that's a long movie, especially if you go director's cut. So one yeah. thing that's important when you pick movies is you're hoping that it's a little bit less than two hours, right? You don't want your guys sitting around very long. I can't think uh, of a Kevin Costner movie that I would put in that category right now. Um, you can't throw Field of Dreams. Postman's out. Waterworld's out. Definitely not Waterworld, yeah. Um, well, no, that's, that's, I don't think so that's I, 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 I co-authored a couple books with Trevor Moad who worked with with Nick Saban back in the day and he was involved in that movie selection process so they they would actually cut those movies down because Saban said they have to fit into this window so uh, as as one of the staffers on one of those Alabama teams told me I don't think our team knows why they were saving Private Ryan (laughs) exactly Uh, we don't do that very often I normally just make sure we pick a movie that's under two hours and our players actually help us pick you know I I, uh, give it to our guys uh, as we pick that out, but we don't normally do that on on games that are around noon, so uh, we won't be watching one this week. That's like go go to sleep. Don't don't watch Colorado Stanford. Get to bed. I, I like it. This is this yeah. is good. But you find a nice boring documentary on Netflix and just just go to sleep. That's right. Wake up, eat eggs, and and go uh, take care of business. All right, Dan Landon. Good luck, Andy. Thank you. Appreciate it, bro. Thank you. That's Dan Lanning with a shockingly deep well of Kevin Costner movie knowledge. Didn't see for love of the game coming. I'm sure his players didn't either. I'm sure that was a that was a new one for most of them. Let's move from him to his opponent on Saturday, Kalen DeBoer, in his second season at Washington, has been a revelation in Seattle. He's got the Huskies playing as well as any team in the country. There's a good reason for that. Man knows what he's doing. Here's Kalen DeBoer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. 
Joined now by Kalen DeBoer, Washington head coach. And, and coach, I, I'm curious about this because you're you're from South Dakota. So you get this job. Do they tell you, here's who we really hate? Here's who we mildly dislike. So like this week, you know, we, we're supposed to really hate or how, how does that happen? Yeah, that's that's funny. You put it that way. Um, you know that you're around college football, so you understand what rivalries are. Right. And then, you know, I work on the West Coast for four years at Fresno State and and get an idea of what the West Coast rivalries are. So that that helped kind of slowly uh, kind of move me in this direction. And then uh, you get here, you know, and you. You quickly uh, through the donors and the alumni and uh, all those different groups you're speaking with, uh, you find out, uh, you know, what it truly is all about. And then you play the game and it goes to another level. So uh, and, and the week before and the week after, um, you know, it's a lot of fun for the fans. So it's an awesome rivalry. Uh, it's it's, uh, you know, what uh, college football, college athletics is all about having these type of, you know, high end teams uh, competing, passionate about their universities and, uh, we're looking forward to Saturday. How how quickly did it go from thanks for beating Oregon after you beat them last year to you better not lose to Oregon this year? <laughs> yeah, I think there's probably some of that out there, but you just keep the main thing the main thing. And, uh, and for us, it's uh, about, you know, preparation and doing everything we can. And uh, our players and our coaches, um, every single game is extremely important. And we've made this a big game because of that mindset. Um, you know, each week bringing, um, you know, our best. And uh, we definitely, you know, are doing that again this week. Uh, we know we're going to get their best as well. And so uh, that's what um, great teams do. And, uh, you know, just happens to be number seven versus number eight on top of the rivalry. So uh, add, add some added elements uh, from the national picture as well. So the last time you played, it, it was – very different from the other games you'd played this season. They, uh, those had all gone pretty smoothly. Arizona challenged you guys a little bit. What do you think you you learned about your team in that game? In last year's game against Oregon? No, no, no. In, in the game against Arizona that, that you just had. Oh, oh this last week. Um, yeah. You know, you can tell where the focus is at, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, it's uh, – it was good for us to kind of be pushed a little bit to, to the end with a couple of just game management things and stuff like that. And um, there are some new faces in our program. So, you know, those guys, you know, feeling it and being around the guys who have been through uh, a few tests uh, last year in particular at the end of the year, whether it be bowl game or uh, our month of November, you know, which had a few um, pretty hyped and, and close games. So uh, it was, it was good for us. I think, uh, you know, that there was, only something that we can take from being a positive. So let, let us talk about that that game last year because that was a very tight game. You know, it you had a kick with 51 seconds to go that that wins it. When you're sending your kicker out in that moment, do, what do you say to him? Do you do you say do you have anything you say, or you just kind of let him be him? If I say anything, uh, it's. It's uh, it's going to be something really short and really positive and, you know, maybe a fist pump and a slap on the back as he heads out. And, uh, you know, in that case, it was a Peyton Henry, you know, had been here many years and um, had had a good season going for us uh, and had had some history, too. Um, he had yeah. missed, missed some kicks in the past or missed a kick. And, uh, you know, it was really cool to see his growth through the season. And um, I think there was just a lot of confidence when he went out last year. Uh, that the opportunity, you know, wasn't too big for him because of all his his past and that, uh, you know, he'd been been preparing for this moment. And so uh, I don't really think I said too much to him at all. And I think that's the best. Just keep it simple. So speaking of being prepared for this moment, you you've played in such big games as a head coach that I, I imagine most people don't realize because you, you were the head coach at, at your alma mater. Uh, the University of Sioux Falls from 2005 to 2009. You were playing in playoff games. You won NAIA national championships, three of them. You had games that were win or go home. You had situations where you had to go pretty much 100 yards to, to win a playoff game. How yeah. much does that experience help you when you get in big – like last last year against Oregon, you're down a touchdown. you got to score. Yeah. How does that help? I think, it, I think it's – I draw on it a lot. And I can remember specifically in 2006 and the 2007 years, 
um, being some big, great growth moments. Uh, some of those big drives that you're talking about where, you know, just the, the seems like it's coming to an end, uh, but you just keep fighting, you keep swinging and, and uh, you know, you make the, you take advantage of every opportunity. If there's one opportunity left, um, you know, you, uh, you lift your team up and um, those guys want it bad and they want to go execute. And uh, if you can have that mindset, it isn't just something all of a sudden that's for the moment you decide this is what we're going to do. To me, it's something that is just part of who you are, your DNA as a program. And it's built through the off season. It's built, you know, and common, just constant, like talking about if we get in this moment, this is how it's going to go. This is how we're going to think. This is, you know, what we're going to rely and count on when it comes to, you know, each other. And, um, I, you know, those games, uh, I know they weren't in front of crowds even close to what's going to be here Saturday, but when it's do or do or die, you know, win or go home and you're in the playoffs and you love your kids and you love your, your coaching staff and you want to do it for the fans and you want this experience to be special um, and you're pouring everything into it. And there's this investment that's, above and beyond uh, what most people realize um, there, there is a lot. And so a lot of those moments in those years, uh, you know, the championship, you know, runs, uh, I think really are relatable uh, and things I draw on um, whether I know it or not. Well, and that, that's what the, the thing about it, it feels like winning translates regardless of the level and, and that experience matters. I, I was talking to Marcus Freeman two days after Notre Dame, Ohio State, and they'd had 10 guys on the field on the final play. And he said, you know, if we ever have that situation again, we may never see it again in our lives. But if we ever do, we're going to have a signal for it now. And that, and I'm thinking, it's his second year as a head coach. It, yeah. It's not happened before. But like in your situation, even when you were an assistant coach at the FCS and FBS levels, you'd already been a head coach. You'd already experienced a lot of those situations. Yeah, I mean, there's – and again, smaller, smaller uh, schools, maybe not the, the national, um, you know, recognition as far as just what, you know, how it gets exposed uh, when you make a mistake. But, you know, made my fair mis mistakes, too. Uh, you know, just uh, not as many people are aware of it, you know, in the early 2000s or, you know, as a head coach uh, in those, uh, you know, five years there at Sioux Falls and like you said, moving on and going through the ranks. You know, there's a lot of those moments and just I think. You know, just like anything, the more you do it, the better you get. Um, play callers become better. I mean, take another sport, you know, you're a golfer. The more reps, the better you get. The more times you're in those situations, the more times you've thought through not just that situation, but the other possibilities that exist. And so, you know, to me, experience is a big part of it. And uh, doesn't make you perfect. Doesn't mean you're, you know, going to make the right decision every time, but you, you do rely on some of those experiences to to help you through and make the best judgments possible. I also heard you talk about how how the specific experience of being at that level helped with the transfer portal because you were in a situation where people would be transferring down and you'd be kind of using that to fill gaps in your roster. And then you get to Fresno State in 2020, you get to Washington 2022. Everybody else is trying to figure out how do we do this? You've done it before. Yeah, it feels very similar once the the portal kind of took effect. Uh, just like you said, plugging in, plugging in a guy here and there, um, understand the makeup and dynamic, and having your team have this culture around it that is inviting to other people. And when they come in, instead of not just you know high school guys, but uh, you know transfers when they come in, they're probably transferring for reasons because they want to see an opportunity that exists. They want to feel. Uh, a sense of belonging in a locker room and value. And, um, you know, been through that, was through that a lot, like you said, at the smaller level with the, before the portal became uh, a thing, you know, like you had those opportunities for guys to come down and, you know, we had division one, you know, even FBS players, uh, a lot of FTS players, um, you know, coming to us, maybe a junior college guy here and there, but uh, it does, there is a piece of that now, you know, so far in two years that uh, we haven't been, full-fledged portal but a lot of those little holes uh you know and some big ones too right michael yeah. penix uh, yeah you know, exactly portal have been uh been a result of uh you know kind of solidifying and making our team come together and being at another level how important was that though that you had so many guys who were at washington when you got the job who wanted to be at washington and wanted to stay at washington yeah and there was a lot of guys that had been here like not just for a year or two but for three you know and even four um, so, um, 
you know, those guys had been through some big years before and saw what it looked like and knew what it was supposed to feel like and, and the work that it took. And so, you know, once we had those guys all in, um, we got really into the winter workouts. Um, you know, they were just, they just never flinched. I, I say that every time. Uh, I couldn't be more appreciative of the way that they just saw, hey, this is, you know, it's about work. It's about good people. It's about, you know, uh, organization and just, you know, everyone heading in the same direction. And I think once we proved to the guys that were here in the roster, um, you know, which was, there was a lot of talent and still is, you know, on this team, a lot of those guys, uh, you know, really brought it all together and got us to, to where we we're at last year and uh, even today. You mentioned your quarterback, Michael Penix Jr. And I saw Tom Allen at the coaches convention right after Mike had, had transferred to you guys. And, and Tom said he's a, he's a great guy. He just he needs a new situation. He's been through yeah. so much with the three uh, season ending injuries. Yeah. What was it like for him going to this offseason, having gone through a year healthy where, where you could see exactly what the potential could be? Yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah, I think that's really what it was. Mike just needed a fresh start. Um, just for, even for himself, you know, and uh, um, when he came here, uh, not just this year having an offseason, and he had an injury, you know, in the middle to end of his uh, final year at, at Indiana in 2021. Yeah. Um, but he had a really an offseason last year, too, you know, which I think uh, lends itself to a, a great season a year ago. And again, building on that and stacking two years on top of each other makes him even stronger. Um, you know, just everything he does from even a skill level is just uh, on point even more. So um, I think those off seasons have been have been huge for him. How does he work with Brian Grubb? How how does that combination? Yeah, it, it's really cool. Um, you know, uh, I knew Mike was capable of that, having sat in the room with him uh, myself, um, and then just knowing the qualities and just you know the way uh, coach grubb works um it's just really awesome you know i just got so much trust in each of them individually and then collectively you bring them together and uh the competitiveness the the just the intelligence both of them have you know there's just so many things and uh it's cool you know knowing and seeing on game day um just the fruits of their labor just i mean the work they're putting in because uh, i think a lot of people don't even know they just think see talent and they see you know, cool system and offense and, you know, got some receivers, you know, I mean, there's a, there's so much work and just details that are just being ironed out. You know, I think most coaches uh, probably get that, but uh, man, it's, it's uh, really cool. Um, having have a lot of confidence in those guys each and every week. How, how much fun is it in a week like this? You're an offensive guy. You've, you've helped design this incredible machine that, that Michael runs on the field. But when you turn on the tape and you see the kind of athletes that Oregon puts out on defense, how much fun is the the, the idea of the chess match mm -hmm. against those dudes? Yeah, you, you yeah, you're there. They're very impressive uh, on defense as a whole team, in fact. But just um, it, it's it pushes you, right? You know, it's pushed it pushes you, and this is how you get to these points is by being pushed. And we can go back again twenty years and just those those close games and those. Uh, those details that you had to focus on and the learning moments, um, just helping you to refine things and um, teach better, um, you know, make the game plan simpler, you know, just all those things are part of this. And you, you but you're in the end, you're being pushed to be your best. And um, that's what this game brings out. Uh, so uh, it's, it is, it's awesome atmosphere. I'm happy for our fans. Um, happy for college football, uh, just to, you know, the excitement that leads up to it and, uh, you know, the moment in Husky Stadium and the, the game in Husky Stadium. Uh, just got a lot of energy surrounding it. It's a lot of fun. So the the one game at a time, uh, you, you guys all have to have that mentality. When you have that open week before a game like this, do you have to kind of rein it in with your guys to, to make sure they're at the right kind of pitch once the game starts? Uh, I think naturally we just – our schedule um, and knowing how we wanted our schedule to be uh, – you know, they needed a break because uh, it's it's five weeks of football that we've played when it comes to Saturdays, but it's also another three to four um, of fall camp. And so, you know, we're a strong eight weeks in, you know, there's seven weeks left of the season. And so it was a good time for us to have our bye week. And we gave those guys, a, you know, once we wrapped up Arizona, we gave them a few days off. So the schedule uh, lend it, lended itself to being able to just like, you know, temper it down a little bit. And then, you know, once we got later into last week, um, into the weekend, um, you know, the energy just picking back up, you know, you don't want to peak with your energy 
uh, too quickly um, because, uh, you know, in, in a game like this, uh, that can happen, you know, and all of a sudden now you're not really at your best come game day. So guys are doing a great job. Again, it's the mature group that we have here. So the week, you know, just methodically moving along and taking care of, you know, like what everyone says, the process that we have in place, um, doing it to our standard. Uh, that's where the focus is at. Coach, thank you so much. Good luck on Saturday. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you to Dan Lanning and Kalen DeBoer for their time. I feel like we're a lot more educated going into the biggest game of the weekend. Now, let's talk about some of these other guys that are going to be playing in these other big games. Well, and, and a couple who will be in that Oregon-Washington game. Jesse Simonton on Three's National Writer has published an all-transfer portal team for 2023. There's a bunch of guys in big games this weekend. And let's face it, they're a big reason why their teams are playing big games, why their teams are playing as well as they are and are in position to do special things this season. The transfer portal has changed how college football works. It has changed how you develop your roster. And it has made it where some teams have really improved their fortunes very quickly. We'll talk to Jesse about how you do that and how some of these guys have made a huge impact. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We are joined by Jesse Simonton on 3 National Writer, uh, currently behind me in our quarterback draft competition. <laughs> but that's not the news that, that we want to get out there. The news we want to get out there is that Jesse has re released the all-portal team at midseason on on three and jesse this is it's amazing how much this feels like it's changed the sport and especially when we look at some of these teams and who's got multiple players on there you can really one revamp a roster change a program's fortunes or two take something that's pretty good and make it really good yeah, I mean, on this list alone, Andy, you know, Michigan, they're going to win the Joe Moore Award again, and they have two transfers. That, you know, they just plug and play, plug and play. And, and it's, you know, you lose a couple guys to the NFL, and suddenly Drake Nugent steps in, and he's the best center in the Big Ten. You get Henderson over here, and he's locking down the left tackle spot. Uh, and Michigan is certainly not an outlier on this list in terms of teams that have restocked their roster with instant impact players. I wrote this spring, what Jeff Braun was doing at Louisville was quietly as impressive as what Dion and Kenny Dillingham and Hugh Freeze and all these other guys that were getting more notoriety. Well, lo and behold, the Cardinals have two guys on this list too. Yeah. And and what's their record? Oh yeah. Yeah. Six and oh. <laughs> like, and, yeah. and, and, and where do they play? They play key spots. Louisville needed a receiver. Jamari Thrash has come in and been – one of the most productive receivers, not just as a transfer, but just in the country, is tied with Keon Coleman, who's also on this list uh, at Florida State for the ACC lead in touchdowns. And then Neil, you know, we watched what he did against Sam Hartman just this past weekend. He had two interceptions in that game and just completely befuddled uh, Notre Dame's, you know, uh, offense there. So what what this list, I think, kind of, you know, encapsulates a, as a whole is that if you can identify the right players, you can have some guys that, that can be studs because some of these guys had done next to nothing mm -hmm. earlier in their careers. And six games into this season, you know, they're on our all-portal team. Well, and, and another pair that we're going to see this weekend in a huge game, that Oregon-Washington game, which I mean, it's it, it may as well be called the Portal Bowl because – now, not this year's portal, but last year's portal right. put Michael Penix at Washington, put Bo Nix at Oregon. But Oregon's got two guys on this year's team. You got a Johnny Cornelius, who 
who came from Rhode Island, who's now the right tackle. He's sort of the, the there's there's different kinds of portal stories. You have the the dude who doesn't do much at his previous school uh, and goes power five to power five. But you have also have the guy like a Johnny Cornelius who blows up at FCS and is like, OK, I want to try the power five. So that would be him. Jared Verse at Florida State. I was going to say he he's yeah. the he's the Jared Verse corollary of 2023. Yep. Yep. And then Kyrie Jackson in the secondary at Oregon, which was a place where, you know, that they, they lost Christian Gonzalez, who was another transfer, uh, but he was a first round draft pick and they needed to they needed to shore up that secondary and and make it more athletic and here's Kyrie Jackson from Alabama had- playing really well. And Oregon had a couple different candidates, Andy, that from the secondary that could have made this list. I mean, this yeah. is, you know, I think defensive back and offensive line were maybe two of the harder positions to really uh, hammer down. But Evan Williams for the Ducks has been very good as well. You know, he he was kind of a late cut. Um, so that, that, you know, Ole Miss too. Ole Miss, I think, just ended up with one player on this team as a whole. But Jared Ivey at defensive line, the Georgia Tech transfer, he absolutely merited consideration. Uh, Saunders, who did make the cut, has been a really good safety uh, there for Pete Golding. So it, it's – I think, you know, there are some names that people are going to say, ah, well, yeah, they made it. But, I mean, Barry Alexander's been good. You know, he, yeah, he, yeah he, he got as much shine as any transfer probably during the spring. But the five-star uh, from Georgia has been the most effective interior pass rusher in the Pac-12 uh, per PFF. Shador Sanders has been one of the best five quarterbacks probably just in the sport, independent of being a transfer. And this is a guy who, again, made the jump from the FCS uh, to the Power Five. Well, and and Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter are are two really good examples. You know, they obviously came with Dion. They are the Louis luggage to which Dion referred, and they have been spectacular. Now, the thing is, they were playing at the FCS level, but both of them would have been Power Five players had right. Deion Sanders not been at Jackson State. Yeah, and and that's probably, you know, that's probably why uh his son his son Shiloh, who did make this list as well, probably deserves a little bit more uh publicity than may, than maybe some of the other guys just because he he wasn't a, you know, top flight recruit, you know. He didn't have the four stars next to his name and yet he's been solid. Missed the USC game. Uh, but you know, he hasn't allowed a touchdown this season tied for the team lead and tackles that big 80 yard pick six to beat Colorado state. That was a huge play in that game that, that kind of helped spur that comeback. Um, so Colorado's got three people on this list. I don't know who, who else kind of jumps out, uh, that maybe you want to touch I'll on. I'll tell you one that jumps out. It was a package deal situation where one came through the transfer portal and another was signed as a high school guy. So Francisco Mauinoa, the, the Miami linebacker who came from Washington State, he's at Miami because his brother's at Miami, Francis Mauinoa, who is now the starting right tackle. He was a five-star guy. He's starting as a true freshman. But that has been great. I, I realize we're, we're not allowed to talk about Miami in a good way this week after Mario didn't kneel. But the fact of the matter is those two brothers showing up at Miami, and they were very much a package deal, is a big deal. Well, speaking, you and I had you know fun with with the Mario uh, all time blunder on Saturday night. But one of the guys he let down because he did you know steal a victory from his own players was Francisco Maliogo, who had two takeaways in that game. He had a yeah. forced fumble and an interception uh, against Haynes King. So. He's he's fit in well. Lance Gidry's got that Hurricanes defense kind of playing with its hair on fire. You know, that's kind of his style, his brand, uh, j- just kind of hyper-aggressive. And, and Malioga seems to have fit in quite well there. Nick Jackson, the other linebacker on this list who made the took the other linebacker spot, you know, you know, he was asked to play the Jack Campbell role for Phil Parker uh, for the Hawkeyes this year, comes over from Virginia. That's been just kind of almost a seamless transition. He, he leads the leads the Hawkeyes in tackles, TFLs, PBUs. Has forced a couple fumbles, so stuff in the set, stat sheet there as well. Ray Davis is another good example of, of a guy who was very good at his previous school and then sort of took it up another level. He was a he was a good running back at Vanderbilt. You know, he was notching hundred yard games in the SEC last year, 
But then you put him in Kentucky with more talent around him, a better offensive line in front of him, and you really get to see what he can do. Yeah. I mean, he was kind of bottled up a little bit against Georgia, but he leads the country in, in touchdowns, has a, has a dozen, dozen touchdowns this season. He's been highly effective as both a, a rusher and a receiver. I mean, he's a really good player. And he, he you know, his, his physicality and vision um, has worked well playing behind a Kentucky offensive line that's been much better. One name I think that's interesting on this list that I think, you know, when you kind of look of where they came from, where they're at now, Trajan Jeffcoat seems to have gotten a little bit of a, a fresh start at Arkansas. He's been like really their only pass rusher outside, inside. They, they, they do not have a lot of pressure on that defense, but he's been good. Um, and yet you kind of wonder, Andy, on this Missouri team, it's pretty mm-hmm. good, pretty salty defense. Ooh. What if they still had Trajan Jeffcoat? Yeah. You know, there, there's kind of some what ifs with some of these guys. I think he he uh, specifically on the defense kind of qualifies there because that's a defensive line that I think could use another impact body. We we know interior pressure um, that's one of the most important things for defenses, especially in college. I, it's just kind of, when I was putting this list together, it was like man, kind of thinking of you know kind of what would it look like if he was actually back in Columbia. So just kind of interesting. Who would you say is the most impactful transfer? thus far this season? I mean, it's it's absolutely Shadur Sanders, right? I think it's Shadur or Travis Hunter. Even, yeah. even though Travis Hunter's been hurt, like once he comes back, he's going to be incredibly impactful in those games. Because remember, they need to win two more to get bowl eligibility. Really good chance they can beat Stanford on Friday night and get to, to win number five. And then the, the schedule gets harder again. But if Travis Hunter's playing, I feel pretty pretty confident they're going to get that sixth win. But yeah, Shador is probably the the most impactful. The the we kind of have to separate it into Colorado division and non-Colorado division. After that, I would probably go Ray Davis. See, um, I go Keon Coleman. Yeah, so I had I the problem is so I do I do the weekly transfer player rankings too. And Coleman has been in a term in terms of Florida State's most important games. He has shown up and, and kind of shined the brightest. He's just had very quiet days otherwise. Um, but, I mean, hey, when they've needed him, the, the dude has delivered, and he absolutely is going to be, you know, a, a first-round NFL draft pick this year. So n- no quibbles there. Yeah, I, I can't I can't believe how impactful he's been in their biggest games because he was unstoppable against LSU and then – Quiet for most of Clemson, though he did have a touchdown right before the half. And then the huge touchdown catch in overtime that that won them the game. And I do wonder, like, if you take him off of Florida State, are they undefeated right now? And I think that's that that's where Not- you can with these Michigan guys, like you could take one of them away, they're still gonna be undefeated. The question is, do they help? raise the level of the Wolverines to, to a level where they can win the national title, which they look like a team that can. Yeah. Another name we haven't mentioned on here that, that that Michigan uh, that made it it was Josiah Stewart, you know, was a pass rusher at coastal Carolina uh, comes in and, and, you know, he, he's just a cog kind of in the system, but in that system, he's worked out quite well, leads the Wolverines in, in sacks and TFLs. So I, I, Coleman, I love. I, I think that his physicality on on the perimeter is just so impressive. I mean, the way he just just completely, you know, mossed the Clemson's wide or corner to 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 win that game in overtime. Um, and when you think about the fact that Johnny Wilson kind of has the the, the the oopsies with the drops, you know, sometimes it's I think it's been really beneficial for Jordan Travis to say, "Hey, if I need you know to get a first down or touchdown here, just just." Chuck it up to Keon. And and you mentioned Drake Nugent before, but there's another Stanford grad who uh, who's doing very well, and that's Walter Rouse at Oklahoma. That Oklahoma offensive line was outstanding against Texas on Saturday. And what blocking two guys with one hand. It was incredible. <laughs> that was that might be my favorite clip from the weekend. Is he, yeah. the, the, if you haven't seen it, there's a clip out there of Walter Rouse, and he is getting 
basically there's a miscommunication and he ends up with two the left guys guard on him. completely screws up. Yeah. Yeah. And so Walter Rouse who's the left tackle is blocking both guys. He's blocking one guy with his left hand and one guy with his right hand. It works. And it was the game winning play. I mean, it was the play that Dylan Gabriel threw the, the, the touchdown and uh, inside the final 20 seconds. Yeah. That, that, that clip alone almost made me put him on the team, but he, and he's been good. He's been good. J- Javon Cohen, the transfer from Alabama, who's at Miami, has been good. Miami did make Matt Lee mm-hmm. was our was you know one of the five offensive linemen. So Miami's got multiple representatives on this list as well, and that was obviously a a big emphasis for Mario this offseason too. We're going to reload in the portal, and he seems to have hit on uh, more than one of these new guys. Yeah, and that's also a reason why I don't think the season's over because they had the horrible no. decision by Mario. Like they can go to North Carolina and be very competitive this week. And they might even win this game. And they, now Miami gets everybody hard in the ACC, but when you have a better offensive line that travels and, and the transfer portal helped them do that. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, you know, you know who doesn't care about uh, what Mario did or didn't do uh last saturday is is you know those those that set the gambling lines because right you know otherwise miami would be a much bigger underdog than just kind of like a coin flip going going to chapel hill exactly interesting that there are two usc defenders on this list and because i agree with you completely that bear alexander and mason cobb have been tremendous additions to the usc defense. Cobb ended up being a final cut oh oh, oh i'm sorry you had final, yeah we, he was considered for it him. yes Let's consider we we uh, just went to two linebackers, so he, he he didn't quite make it. He's has been solid though, and Bear, um, you know he again he's provided the pass rush. USC still, I think that their biggest weakness is in the secondary, yeah. but they are allowing a, almost a yard less per carry this year uh, on the ground. So Bears, you know, pr- provided a little extra run support there as well. Ooh. We'll get to see him against the best offensive line they played against against Notre Dame this weekend. I, that'll be an interesting one because, yeah, I, I, Bear has been considerably better than all of their other interior linemen. Now they've got they've got some good edge rushers on that team, but they that defense is has been a little bit of a sieve the last few weeks. So we'll see if uh, if Notre Dame t- can take advantage of that. But Jesse, we also got to talk about our quarterback draft that we did in the preseason. <laughs> This thing is not going the way I thought it would. And by that, I mean, I'm winning. Uh, so, but, but our, our guy, Jamie has developed a scoring system and a scorecard that he puts out each week. He's at, at corn wit on Twitter. And it is amazing how much Jaden Daniels is carrying me. I, th- that was, I, I picked Jaden Daniels thinking he's going to have an okay year. He's got some good receivers but him having to keep pace with how bad LSU's defense is has forced him to just put up stratospheric numbers. Yeah, I mean, it's rather remarkable, Andy, that I have two of maybe the top three or four Heisman contenders, and I'm just getting mollywopped in this race because I've got some total duds at the back end of my draft. I mean, you had you got Gabriel who's also been phenomenal for you. Yeah, that was my number uh, nine. With that was my ninth, ninth round pick. With your ninth pick. The two SEC guys are just killing me. Yeah. I mean, KJ, he's just been, you know, a shell of himself. Nothing like he was the last couple seasons. And Devin Leary, I don't know if he's still hurt or what's going on there, but that is just, while Ray Davis has been phenomenal uh, via the transfer for the Wildcats, that has not been the case uh, with Devin Leary at quarterback. So, my Big Ten guys, we'll see. I will say I was dinged a little bit because Michael Pratt missed so many games. Yes, and that hurt that that hurt me here. Uh, I, you know, I think Kyle McCord's going to give you give you a lot down the stretch. I also think JJ McCarthy's going to open it up more as they get to face tougher competition. But here's your problem: I think Mike Bobo's figured out how to use Carson Beck, yeah, and un- exactly. unfortunately for you and for Georgia's opponents, the way you the, the way it seems like. Carson Beck gets comfortable is going deep early, taking shots early. And that's just going to give me more, more stats. Well, the, the other, the other issue I'm going to run into is I, I think, you know, Drake may got off to a slow start. Oh I, yeah. I he's going to, he's going to have a, this stretch run for Drake may, I have a feeling he's going to be very productive. 
he he's about to start heating up. Yeah. So I, I need Quinn to, to kind of pick it up a little bit. Uh, we'll see what, you know, Jordan Travis, it's been a little quiet there after kind of the, the rolling start that he got off to. So there are Drew Aller is going to have to do more for you. And I think he, well, he, he can, and will have to, if they want to beat Ohio state and Michigan. So, but I not think if you really ask good. James Franklin though, if well, all James- right, let's talk, let's talk about that. We, <laughs> we may throw the clip. We'll throw the clip in here too, from the press okay. conference. So, Hey, good afternoon, James. Hey, Corey. A follow-up to what uh, you were just asked there about Drew. Is there a balance, though, between, hey, we need you to throw the ball deep no matter – just take a shot. Don't don't overthink it. Take a shot. We need to see it. We're going to call it. And, and we need you to get some confidence in doing this as opposed to even giving a young quarterback the chance to say, hey, just check it down if, if, if it's not there. I, I don't really understand what you're saying because we would never like I'm like my skin is curling when you say just drop back and chuck it deep no matter what like like that is like I, I don't even know what you're I don't know what you're saying it's like you're speaking like from just Mars. Just send a guy on a post pattern, take the shot, throw it. No matter receiver, what. Give your receiver a chance to make a play on a ball, uh, even if he might be covered. 30 yards down the field, maybe you think he'll be open 45 yards down the field and, and like Godwin did or with Jahan or KJ. We, you, we've you, ne- we, like, like I still don't like you're speaking Japanese. Like, like we, we have never done that. Just throw the ball up and maybe he'll be open and maybe he'll catch. Like my skin is like, like my, I'm, my, I'm, like you're making me uncomfortable. Like I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. So okay. yeah, we 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 would not do that. We would never do that. We've never thought about doing that as a head coach, as an offensive coordinator, as a receivers coach. I coached the receivers. I didn't want them to do that. Um, so no, no, strong no. Like yeah, no. What this guy is asking essentially is why do you, James Franklin, not use the strategy that I use when I play my 14-year-old in Madden, Madden, where I just run four verts every play? Like, he's saying, why have you not given Drew Aller a situation where there is no checkdown option? And James Franklin, who is a competent football coach, is like, we have no passing plays where there is no checkdown option. That is not in the playbook and will never be in the playbook. You're making my skin crawl. I mean, it was... It- that 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 was an all-time presser uh moment right there because Franklin just you could see in real time his eyes just being like what in the world is this am I being asked right here and well, then right. It just and, and, and you see the gears turning and said like what is he saying <laughs> oh that's what he's saying I and and it's like at that point you're like I don't even know if I can explain this to you accurately because <laughs> you're not going to understand it. It's it, it was one. What's the the Billy Madison? We're now all you know dumber for having. Yeah, and may God have mercy on your <laughs> yeah. soul. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you felt bad for the guy. The guy's been a long time Penn State uh, reporter, but, but how do you watch football just, for that long without I, understanding exactly. that every passing play has a check down for a reason? To circle it back to Drew to Drew Aller, they will need to have him do more because that running rushing attack has not been as good as I right. think they thought because the offensive line hasn't been quite as good. So, can uh, the former five star shoulder more of the load, kind of create more explosive plays? You know, Dante Cephas transfer circling mm-hmm. it back hasn't really been kind of the home run guy. They maybe they thought. Right. Second half of the season, if they're going to beat Michigan and Ohio State, they need those receivers specifically. Can you imagine if, if the second half of the season is just defined by Kent State transfers blowing up? Like Dante well, Cephas uh, and then Tez Walker, Walker, who's now eligible at North Carolina. And he had a phenomenal catch uh, in his first game back just last weekend. I, I think he and Drake May are going to – you know, Nate McCall, another guy that just missed, just missed the cut uh, for the wide receivers, the Georgia Tech transfer – that's that's hooking up with uh, Drake there at UNC. He's kind of fit in seamlessly as that Josh Downs role. Well, it's it, they're going to be fun to watch because 
here's the thing about Tez Walker. They didn't find out till Thursday that Tez was eligible to play. So he'd been playing scout team all week. Now he's playing with the ones all week at practice. So we're going to get to see what he really can do here in these next few weeks. And I think that's pretty exciting. And if you're Drake May or you're someone who took Drake May in the quarterback draft, you feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I think I think maybe Hartman will start throwing some more picks, so that'll ding you a little bit. But no, I, I think Listen, you're looking pretty I, good. I think Hartman blows up this weekend against USC's defense. I, I think – Well, he, if he doesn't, then he, then he never is. He never right. will. Then that well, and, then that... So Jaden Greathouse didn't play against Duke. He played against Louisville, but it was very limited. He was kind of a decoy. If he's feeling better, then Sam can throw to someone other than the tight end. And I think that will be very helpful. And USC will will let you throw. Noah Fafita can can attest to that. They will. They will. And I need I need Caleb to to keep that Superman cat cape on for as long as he can. If I'm gonna, <laughs> he's gonna have to. The problem is the problem is the only Power Five defense worse than USC's might be LSU's, and Jaden Daniels is having to keep pace with that defense and. You know, that's what uh, we, we had T-Bob Hebert picking the games on Wednesday's show. And that was the, our, our question that we could not find a, a, an answer to is, will LSU's defense be bad enough to make Auburn's off, passing offense look confident? And we came up with no, and that LSU would cover. And I'll let everybody behind the curtain. T-Bob texts me on Thursday morning. He's like, I just watched the Georgia-Auburn All-22. I don't think LSU's going to cover. <laughs> Changed his mind. Like, can I take my pick back? I'm like, yeah, it's, you're going to guess. You can do whatever you want, but I'm stuck with it. So, Wow. Wow. What's yeah. the, well, I haven't seen the total. I know what the, the spread is. What's the total on that one? It, it is – I want to say it's, it's, it's around 70. Or no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's mid, mid, mid to low 60s. I'm sorry. But, yeah, I mean – Given what we've seen from Auburn, it's very tough to imagine how they are dynamic looking on offense, even right. against LSU secondary. So we'll find out. But Jesse, it's been a pleasure. Uh, would you like to uh, run this back after some games on Saturday? Absolutely, man. Can't wait. All right. Beautiful. Well, that is your show. That is your week. We got lots going on. There's there's games, big games. We got West Virginia and Houston playing right now. Got Stanford and Colorado on Friday night. And then the usual buffet of college football on Saturday. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for telling your friends. Thank you for liking, subscribing, leaving very nice reviews. We'll talk to you after the game on Saturday. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.